Chef Boyardee is Poe's mentor. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it was always going to be Leia. Could have been Baby Yoda. <laughs> wow, what a huge oversight. There's just a hole in the Death Star. Like, what the heck? You know, just like board that up or something, you know? Then jumped onto Wikipedia and was like, oh, there it is. I refused to get on the Wook, um, as, as Jared lovingly refers to it. You're listening to the Star Wars Archives, a Utini.com Patreon-exclusive podcast. Your regular deep dive down the rabbit hole of the Star Wars universe. Discussion, analysis, Easter eggs, and obscure books you've never heard of. And now, here are your hosts, Jose and Trevor. Hello there, you have tuned into episode 51 of the Star Wars Archives, the Utini Network podcast where we take a random Star Wars topic and explain the living Bantha Poodoo out of it. I am Jose, aka Joxie in the Utiniverse, and with me today, a man that if you look closely enough, you'll see him dancing in the background of the Star Wars Connect game, Mr. <laughs> Trevor Davey. Yes, I'm Han Solo, the real Han Solo. Are they the lyrics? Um, good morning. Yeah, good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is for you guys. Um, as you all know, I'm the official keeper of a timeline pages over at utd.com. Spent my entire life consuming Star Wars media, and I've read over 1,000 Star Wars books and comics. So we're officially 50 episodes in now. So if you don't know what we're all about, and this somehow happens to be your first time, then you're in luck. It means you've got a massive back catalogue of listening to me and Jose shooting my shit to look forward to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Shooting the Bantha Poodoo, Trev. This is Shoot, a family. This, yes, this is the supposed Bantha to Poodoo. become Sorry. a family show, possibly. <laughs> Come on now. I'll change that for future episodes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you, Trev. And before we get going with the radio show, let's end this intro segment by saying that this show is possible thanks to. All the people supporting us, either through Patreon subscriptions or getting some of our merch. And if you'd like to help us out as well, you can get the Star Wars inspired merch on utini.com slash merch and also go to patreon.com slash utini. And when you become a member, not only will you get access to all of our episodes in advance, you also get a bunch of other utini member exclusives. And the reason I'm bringing that up right now is because we do have a very special guest with us today. So Trev, what's, what, what's today's episode about? So... Yes, we do have a special guest. So our guest is a historian specializing in the First World War, author of books such as The First World War in Computer Games and British, French and American Relations on the Western Front. Trust me, I know what you're thinking, but you'll get where I'm going with it. <laughs> as well as being one of the authors on a recent, recently released reference book, Star Wars Battles that Change the Galaxy, and the book that we're going to talk about today, The History and Politics of Star Wars, Death Stars and Democracy. Please welcome Chris Kempshaw. Thank you very much. I own <laughs> 295 books that I could find yesterday that are about Star Wars. <laughs> um, so Good number. That you could Good find number. yesterday. Yes. <laughs> so the amount I've read must be more than that. So an other amount. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so 300 plus at a generous yes. estimate. We, we are in storied company here, Jose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so Chris, so just like Trev said, uh, you know, you, you were one of the co-authors of the Battles to Change the Galaxy, and we definitely will get into that in a minute. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your like relationship to Star Wars, basically between 
when you were born and that first book like you know what what was it what was your first star wars what was uh what was the first book movie like toy and then also yeah let's just start with that and we'll take it from there so the i, I like the idea of a potted history of, of me and star wars from yes. like the, my birth to about <laughs> yesterday um <Yes. laughs> so my first like film interaction with star wars was uh recorded off of the tv over here in in england okay. you know recorded yep. off i think they were all itv because they all had adverts in them and disney plus doesn't have adverts in them and i find it very weird now when i watch <laughs> what's um, so surely shouldn't there be... do, do you still know do you still know that point in the speeder bike chase where it's yeah absolutely it's luke skywalker cuts the the, the 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 veins off of the front of the speeder bike and then it cuts to like an 80s advert and it's the uh the r white lemonade drinker 1980s um tv <laughs> advert which i know all of the lyrics to because it's on star wars because it's on star wars yes that's definitely yeah. um so that's the kind of the, the 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 film interaction we had like a variety of like star wars action figures I've got like the the Endor ATST driver somewhere and a little kind of 1980s Yoda. Then none of them are in their original packaging, obviously. Um, yeah. But I didn't then kind of because obviously you, we get the dark times when there was no Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. you know I played like I had uh, Star Wars on the Game Boy and I had a variety of other kind of Star Wars um, computer games. But the 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 big jumping off point for me is um, a holiday to America. And it must have been 1997-ish time. Um, mm-hmm. And there in Florida, there used to be a big Disney store called... Down- uh, there used to be a big place called Downtown Disney. There still is. But inside Downtown Disney, yes. there was an enormous Virgin Megastore, um, which was... Oh, I love that show. I remember so that, yes. Um, it had like yes, three floors. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And like one of them, right by the escalators, was like dedicated to sci-fi novels and and, and Star Wars stuff. And I got Timothy Zahn's Spectre of the Past book while I was there, and like gobbled oh. it up in like fifteen minutes, and was just <laughs> sold. Um, it's like, like there's this whole massive galaxy of of stuff that I can dive into. All of these extra stories, and then I got kind of ate those mm-hmm. up, and then got hyped for the prequels, and then they came out. So that was. So Spectre of the Past is what, early 2000s? I think it's like... 99. It's, it's, it's around the turn. Something like 1997. Let me have a look in my uh, my um, reference citation manager. Do you, do you have a spreadsheet? Uh, you'd be stunned. You'd be surprised at the extent <laughs> to which... Um, so... I, I would not It's 1997. <laughs> um, bang on. Oh! Um, so yeah, it came out, that came out in 1997. So then I must have eaten up loads and loads of the EU before Phantom Menace in 1999. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from then onwards, kind of, you know, I gobbled up all of the games and all of the books. And then, like, I spent a lot of time playing Star Wars Supremacy as it was on the PC over here, Rebellion as it was in okay. America. Yeah. And all of those types of games. But um, it was, you know, it, it was my it was my geeky fandom thing. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing yeah. it as if I, you know, I was going to turn it into a job or anything like that um i played the hell out of star wars galaxies um when that was Mm. um when that was around and wrote a lot of kind of fan fiction on the side in a wouldn't it be great if one day i could write a star wars book but the 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 likelihood of that happening is so minute minute as to effectively be irrelevant (laughs) um and it was only like the academic kind of interaction with star wars came out of like the the second evolution of my academic side out of my phd 
So yeah. my PhD was like just First World War history. It was Allied relations. It was British and French relations, soldiers, relations between those soldiers during the First World War. And that was kind of my my main study. And then when I finished that PhD, I got the opportunity to have my first geeky evolution, which was, you know, mm-hmm. history and warfare in computer games. And that was that was cool. And mm-hmm. that was like a bucket list thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that did surprisingly well, because I don't know if you guys have ever encountered it. There's a YouTube channel called uh, The Great War who between 2014 and 2018 basically retold the first world war in real time um like every week they were releasing new videos and videos and it was they were they did amazing stuff but they shared an article that i did about the first world war in computer games with their on their twitter pages and their facebook and like and they and they hit it at a point when it was free to to read because normally those academic articles get locked behind a paywall and you know, it's, it's either yeah. read this thing or pay your mortgage. You can't have both. Um, <laughs> and like three or four thousand people read it. And that like that doesn't happen to academic articles. So then I had this conversation yeah. with Routledge who published it. And they were like, have you got any other fun ideas of stuff you'd like to do? <laughs> like, uh, it turns out I, I really, really do. Whether or not the rest of the world is going to consider it to be a fun idea. But I've got an idea which I think will be fun. And it was it was academic book about Star Wars. Um, and that was back in, uh-huh. I signed that contract in 2017. Um, and then obviously like everything got slowed down because pandemic and Lucasfilm kept changing their yes. release deadlines for films and stuff. But it all coalesced nicely. Oh, so annoying. So annoying but for you. <laughs> perfectly, because then I went to um, the British Library over here in England. And just after, in one of the mini open periods when I, in between lockdowns, you know, those 15 minutes or so when we were allowed outside. Um, yeah, yeah. And I tweeted that it was like, oh, you know, it's safe. You know, they had hand gel, sanitizer, masks. Everything was fine. If anybody else is going to the British Library, you're totally fine. And the British Library kind of shared that on their own um, kind of Twitter page with a little bit of a rundown of what it was that I was studying or what I was researching there. And I mentioned that I was writing this book on Star Wars and the mm-hmm. editors at DK saw that and then contacted me and said, would you like to help us write Battles That Changed the Galaxy? And I was like, oh, oh wow. yeah, I do. But that whole, <laughs> if you think about how ridiculous every single aspect of that line of events is to end up with that yeah. end point, it's like that, it just isn't plausible. I'd, I'd have opened that email expecting a cease and desist. <laughs> we hear you writing a book about Star Wars. We don't know yeah. you. Um, well, two things about that. Firstly, that email went to my spam inbox. Um, <laughs> and the, the sleepless nights I've had about that. It's like, what, else, what the hell else did I miss? There could have been movie contracts. Yes. There could have been anything in there. Um, but also, I'd contacted Lucasfilm super early on with the academic book. Basically, with a two-point kind of approach firstly you know hi can i i'm writing this book can i come and use your archives at all in complete ex- expectation that they'll go who the hell are you no yeah this yeah. is not all yeah. book. please get your stuff and leave and that was very politely what they said but they didn't say stop and that was the other thing mm. that i wanted <laughs> out <laughs> they didn't say and if you write this you know mickey mouse is heavy yeah. is going to kick your front door in at three o'clock in the morning um, so I, I was reasonably confident that disney were having known about it because other people write books about star wars as well that they weren't going to yeah. say absolutely not yeah so what a like so we know that that's your this Star Wars. That's the the through line that got you from that first movie to this book. But then, yeah, the other aspect of of that ties into this book that we have today: the the history and politi- politics of Star Wars. And you being a historian, 
was that also yeah. always like present in like as a as a kid you were always really fascinated in, um you know into uh, wars themselves or just history in general uh I, to a to, to greater and lesser extent it was never a career path for me mm -hmm. because i wanted to be a football commentator um over oh. here um <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I dropped history in like year nine before I did my GCSEs because I did media studies and ah. stuff like that because I wanted to be a football commentator. Turns out you don't really need that many football commentators. There aren't that many football matches on a weekend. <laughs> you need like an enormous pool of them. Um, so, yeah. you know, having realised that, oh, God, my, my dreams of football commentary aren't, aren't going to be a thing. Obviously, the logical conclusion is, well, I'll move into that far more welcoming environment of academia where everyone gets a job. Um, and that only kind of, yeah, appeared. So my undergraduate degree was media studies. Um, my my mm. master's was in like international relations and war studies to an extent. And it was only kind of from then onwards that the, that the history side. I, I mean, I read like all of the horrible history books when I was growing up and stuff like that. And I found them kind yeah. of interesting. But yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a fake historian in academic terms. Um, I mean, not just in academic <laughs> terms. We don't we shouldn't you know yeah. narrow it down. I'm a fake historian in lots of ways. Um, but um, <laughs> but you're a published but I'm a published fake, fake historian. Fake historian. Yeah. Um, yeah, which which presumably has its own merits. Yeah, and you were able to marry you know the, the your nerdum of, of Star Wars with the history. So now the next one will be trying to bring in the f football into this, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's the next the, logical how, step. How, how, how do you find football in Star Wars or some other sort of video gamey type of thing? Well, Star Wars sports um, almanac. Yes, in the wait, wait, <laughs> in the Rogue Squadron comics, when they go back uh -huh. in time to Baron Suntifel's, um time at training at the imperial academy he plays a form of zero g american handball football thing which he's super good at oh. um because he's like athletic type so maybe there's there's room for something like that in there yeah trev if there's probably also an episode I'm, there for us sports in yet i'm already thinking about uh when they did the Rise of a Hut Cartel expansion for the Old Republic game, I can't remember the name of the sport. Is it Gravball? Oh, it's something. And again, it's an American football type thing, but on the Old Republic website, they're publishing interviews with like one of the big stars Amazing. of that sport, all in universe and stuff. So it's, it's it definitely might have stuff been called Gravball. In that sounds like the type of very, very deep, nerdy, geeky reference that they yeah, tie in there. <laughs> Yeah, I think Gravball's definitely a Star Wars thing, so that might be the Baron yeah. Fell one, um, or I may have read that in the Rogue Squadron books. It'll come. To, we'll be ten minutes into this conversation, <laughs> and I'll just start shouting out random Star Wars sports <laughs> Um So let's go. Let's focus on battles for a yeah, bit. So DK, DK, yes. email you out of the blue um, and say, "Would you like to make your dreams come true?" And you say, well, obviously. Um, so, so what was that experience like? Because the other authors are pretty well established. I mean, you got Jason Fry yeah. on that book. So there's some there's some heavy hitters. What, did you have to have a meeting first? Did DK go, oh, by the way, we've hired a new boy? How did I, that work? I genuinely don't know what it was that they told the other authors about me. Um, okay. Or whether or not it was just like, we've got you three. And this is Chris. Um, that kind of, you know, we're going to keep him in a hutch in the office. We've got him a little salt lick and a wheel and stuff and just let him talk about the First World War from time to time. And he'll be very happy. Um, that kind of, of, of approach. But I mean, 
I, uh, to be an academic is to have imposter syndrome. It kind of comes with a library card. Um, but it was <laughs> it was very acute um, in those early bits. So you know we had a, a big kind of Zoom meeting with with all of us with with Cole and Amy and Jason, where we kind of chatted and had like uh, exchanged kind of ideas and, and and bits and pieces and the like. But yeah, I mean. It's not giving anything away to say I was the least important, well-known figure on that book cover. Um, in the same way as when I was at um, when I was at Star Wars Celebration, I was the least important person on that table. Um, <laughs> oh no! I mean, no. The, yeah, I my my metric for success must be so otherworldly for the other three people on that on that novel, on that book you know bearing in mind you know amy's a huge name she hosted she was one of the, the hosts for star wars celebration yeah cole yes. did has done all of his own history stuff his world war to star wars um thing that he did at previous celebration he used to do on the star wars uh website but also you know has worked on like must be at least a dozen star wars computer games uh jason fry wrote the novelization for the last jedi i don't think any three or any of those three <laughs> i've ever sat at home going I wonder if I wonder if Lucasfilm will ever call again, because they're not set by the phone. It must be as close to a sure thing as imaginable. Um, And then there was me, um, who was desperately trying not to, you know, sink a quarter of the book and make it dreadful. Whereas everyone was like, "Oh, three quarters of this were amazing," and then just God, the rest was just what the rest was. Um, But I've been I've been saying to various people that. They were all just so incredibly nice. They never treated me like the random guy who came and sat on the cool kids table. They never treated me as if I didn't belong there or I wasn't making a contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, you know, they'd have been well within their rights to have been like, the three of us are going to write this. And Chris, we might let you like name an Ewok. Um, <laughs> or, you know, vaguely talk to us in very generic terms about military stuff. But we, you know, this is our job yeah. and this is our livelihood. And you can't just come in here yeah. and do this. You know, this is important to us. And it, it was never like that. Um, you know, I wrote exactly as much of that book as everybody else did. And it, the, the welcoming nature of it meant a lot to me because, you know, you were saying, you know, you get that email from DK and, you know, would you like to make all of your hopes and dreams come true? The worst possible outcome for that is it turns out you suck at it. Um, <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. you know, we've, that would be Yeah, we've given you a chance to write a Star Wars book, and it just turns out you're really bad at it. Um, and, you know, <laughs> if you'd have been good at it, we'd have asked you to come back and do and loads more. But it turns out you're just really <laughs> bad at it, and it was a mistake to ask you. And that would have been like yeah. half a dozen daggers to the heart. Um no, it was... Well, have you checked your uh, your junk mail folder? I checked yeah, my spam folder <laughs> a dozen times a day now. Um, just in case there's something fun lurking in there. So I was going to ask about how that... I mean, you've, you've talked about it a bit already, but how that sort of breakdown of work yeah. went. You said that you wrote exactly as much as everyone yeah. else and you wrote whole sections. I mean, you know I flicked through it because I did a whole Twitter thread on it and then haven't managed to get back to it. I flicked through it again last night. And um, I think I was on the an Axis section, and that was blatantly a Jason Fry section. I've read enough reference books to know when Jason Fry is referencing Jason Fry. <laughs> that one was quite clear. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and that's one of the things I love about that guy. Yeah. And his writing. But everything else, you know, I can't, I can't pick no. who does what. And you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want that to be the case anyway, because it needs to be a cohesive bit. But did you... 
did he draw straws? Did anyone go, I want this battle? I want this planet? Yeah, to an extent. So Did DK do it for you? Uh, no, it was hugely democratic. And what was interesting as a comparison was um, at the, the non-fiction publishing panel at Celebration when everybody was talking about timelines because... Um, you know, uh, Cole was working on timelines, Jason was working on timelines, um, Amy Rishow was working on timelines, Kristen Bavel was working on timelines. And it t- and it sounds from what they were saying was they were each given eras and this is your era mm. to do. And that wasn't how it worked with Battles That Changed the Galaxy. Um, because every okay. Friday, um, our incredibly amazing editor um, at DK, David Fentiman, will drop us an email and basically go, okay, here are eight battles spread across the entirety of the, the the timeline and okay chris you picked first last time so it's amy's time to pick first and amy would pick two battles and then cole would pick two battles and then jason would pick two battles and i'd get whatever was was left and those could be spread across anything and then next week it would evolve again um mm-hmm. and in amongst that um there were like you know the the, the huge mega battles you know endor yavin hoth just to go from the original trilogy, they get like multi-page spreads. And we all ended up picking a couple of those that would appear as well, like two or three of those, um, which would then be our ones, um, again, spread out across the the timeline. And the the thing with the Anaxis, that must have been the, like the capital ship page that we that kind of spread that there's a spread there are various spreads that come throughout that book about topics relating to strategy uh, and warfare it's, it's the it's the armies one it was one oh, okay is it fleet armies because it's one that Possibly. talks about um it talks about the abduction of children uh, kind of foreshadowing what we see much later on the timeline with yeah. the first order but it talks about that and i know that jason fry referenced that in his servants of the empire books yes. and so that's one of the yeah. ways i was like yep jason wrote the spread yeah, so we all pitched a couple of kind of one-off standalone spreads, um, and then we voted on them. You know, which ones did we think would be the most interesting? And then we all end up with oh, about okay. three of those each. So I have three random spreads in that book. Jason has three random. Amy has three random. Cole has three random. And everything about it was just incredibly magnanimous and democratic and and friendly. Um, and the voting or the kind of the the, the picking of the spreads. Um, not only was it really nice that it was like that, it kind of had to be because I had a five hour time jump on everybody else because both me and David are over here in England. So if he sent out an email at like f- four o'clock on Friday evening, you know, everyone who's on the West Coast, well, I've picked mine um, yeah, <laughs> straight off because of you know, an accident of, of time zone. Um, so having it done that way just meant that there are no single parts of that book. You know, I... I'd be lying if I said, you know, I did this section because I didn't. Um, and each of the eras, so you've got like the Republic, you've got the Rise of the Rebellion, you've got the Galactic Civil War and you've got the First Order Resistance War. Each of those opens with like a recap or kind of like a, a section introduction. And we each wrote one of those. So even that aspect is spread around completely. You'd be very, yeah. very hard pressed, I think, to definitively say if you didn't kind of know us or know me or you know stuff like that to go okay you know cole wrote this chris wrote this amy wrote this because yeah. it's it's so it's so spread out randomly around across the book well and it's given that it's all spread out like that is there then any part of it that you feel especially like proud about or that you're like oh, i can't believe i was able to sneak this one little thing in there um out of the 
you know, miscellaneous things that you were able to contribute to the book. Yeah, there, there are. Um, there are loads of, like, little Easter eggs <laughs> that I put in for yes. myself and all references to, to history and like the issue is i'm not i don't think we're actually allowed to say um <laughs> the, the amount which that we're able to to talk to about bits and pieces okay um, okay that's fair because again we've got to you know it's 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 maintaining the yeah. the, the cohesion of it but um you know, there are definitely, like, First World War references in this book that I've okay. sprinkled in. There are definitely references to computer games that I've sprinkled in. Um, there are parts of the book that um, that I wrote that I am delighted that I got to yeah. write and that mean a huge amount to me. Um, yeah. And sometimes people like will randomly mention it, and I, that's one of the hardest parts, because somebody go, oh, yeah. I read Battles of Chains of Galaxy, I really love this battle, and there's an element of, like, oh... Thank you, but I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about a book that you can talk about then. <laughs> yeah, that's always. So, I, I always feel bad on a podcast when I say that because you know, <laughs> ideally I'd be like, oh yeah, well, you know, I wrote the the, the Battle of, of, of Bing Bang Four, um, and you know, let's let's dig into the writing process of it. But I always feel like I'm slightly shortchanging people. Yeah. But but also the truth is that we don't actually want to know too much of the inner yeah. me- mechanisms because it would take away from the book you know it's yes. it's like showing us how a magic trick is done and no nobody yes. wants that but history no. and politics of star wars you can I talk mean, about I know how to yeah, jose would because you are chaos incarnate. <laughs> um, so so you're you're clearly well read you know you you've read 300 plus books that we've established um when did you realize Star Wars books? Star Wars books, yes. more stuff. <laughs> when, when did you realize that this book specifically was a book you wanted to write? Not just when Ragnarok sort of said, "Do you have any ideas?" At what point did you start thinking, "I've, I want to do this." So, I mean, it had been something that I'd, I'd, I'd like to have to do, like kicking around in the back of my head for a while. But actually, the version of the book that I had kicking around in the back of my head isn't history and politics at history and politics of star wars it's actually Ooh. much closer to battles that change the galaxy because what i originally <laughs> pitched to routledge was a military history of the star wars universe um, oh okay and that then evolved when i was writing the 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 kind of the the, the proposal for it into actually that's not it's not going to work in the way that i want it to work in that actually this what what the book ends up being is actually a better idea and you know would allow me if i then in the future wanted to do the a military history of the star wars universe mm-hmm. because i've you need that grounding you need the, the theoretical foundation for for a book like that um but i'd had it kicking around in the back of my head for years because it was the closest i was ever going to get to write a star wars book um <laughs> so you know something like that i thought would be fun but there's also that element of who in their right mind is as an academic publisher is going to commission um, a book about like military history and history in Star Wars, and I needed that kind of that First World War computer games, that First World War background, mm-hmm. not simply to say that I'd done it, but to give legitimacy. That you know, once four thousand people yeah. read something about First World War and computer games, there's an element yeah. of you know, okay, you might not be one of the people who will read a book about history in Star Wars, but maybe 4,000 other people will. And that, you know, that's quite a large amount in regards to an academic history book. Um, So once that opportunity kind of 
rose up in front of me and I kind of clinged onto it with my hands, my feet, my teeth um, in a desperate <laughs> attempt to, you know, cling onto it and wrestle it to the ground. That when Routledge were basically at that first meeting, they're like, I really like this idea. Send me a proposal and we'll see what we can do. And then it and then it took off um, was the moment is, OK, this is super fun and this is super cool. But also, oh, God, I've actually got to write this now. Um, <laughs> what's this even going to look like? And, you know, the, the, the proposal of the book just looks very different to the book that eventually came out because I kept having to change the timelines and stuff around and coalesce the, the bits mm-hmm. and pieces and then... The, the stuff that was coming out in the sequel trilogy meant I kept having to change bits and pieces. But yeah, that that desire to write something Star Wars has existed for me probably since, you know, the five minutes after I read Spectre, Spectre of the Past. And certainly since I wrote a ton of fan fiction while playing Star Wars Galaxies. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And this, in my mind, was the closest I was going to get to it. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a pressure on that because, um, you know, you both... Obviously, you're, you're presenting a Star Wars podcast, so you love Star Wars, but you must be aware in the same way that I am of, you can ruin this for yourself if you... Oh, yes. If you go too far down that road, <laughs> you can take this thing that you love and just turn it into work. And work is boring. And yeah. the worst thing yeah. after that is then you've turned it into work and work is boring, and then people don't like the book. So well, what was the point? I've, yeah. I've destroyed the thing that I've loved and have been greeted by... a mediocre shrug of the shoulders so there was a you know a reasonable amount of anxiety pressure the more i thought yeah, about that's a lot of pressure doing. to put on yourself yeah yeah so um we've established you're really well read as well did you have to reacquaint yourself with a lot of these star wars stories as you wrote the book or did you start in that proposal or did you have like a, a really hastily scribbled bullet point plan of notes based on books you'd already read and went well i can i can link this i could talk about this i could talk about this so in because i owned all of the like the expanded universe stuff anyway to begin with so i had a pretty a clear idea in my mind of what i thought the stuff was saying and kind of conveyed that in the in in the proposal um but going back to the you know then i was writing it's like god i've got to you know at least refresh my memory of what yeah, there's a lot of books. Um, oh god, this means I've got to reacquaint my memory with a crystal star. Um, that um, <laughs> kind of kind of aspect of it, um, and that's a little bean of me. I'm sorry. Um, well, <laughs> someone someone had to say it. You're not um, the first. That I had to. I, I've got a really weird memory. The way that my memory works in the when I was writing stuff, it's like okay, I can remember it is in this book. And it's this character saying it, and it's probably on like the right-hand page of the, of, of, of the two pages. So I'll just go and find the book, and I'll flip through it, and I'm sure I'll find it soon enough. Um, and, you know, that's a book that I read like 20, 25 years ago. Um, so that was super helpful. But what was reassuring was, because the other thing that would have torpedoed this, if I'd have gone back to those books and gone, wow, I was way off. Um, <laughs> that proposal was just nonsense. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing here. Oh god, this is going to be a super awkward conversation with Routledge now. Um, but yeah, once I kind of reacquainted myself and got back into the swing of it, it, it all kind of largely came flooding back exactly as I'd remembered it, but to greater extents. So you know, stuff that I'd read that overtly in my mind was you know this is about the war on terror. Something you know I read like in the New Jedi Order books. But, you know, that was that was 20 years ago before I was a historian. So 
there's loads of subtext that I completely missed. Um, and only, it's only going back to it now when I'm, you know, older and smarter. Yeah. Going, oh, wow, loads of this went over my head. Um, that allowed yeah. you to then go, actually, there's even more to this than I thought there was. And that is hugely reassuring. Because firstly, you know, it validates the decision of the book, but also it gives you a ton more material to use. Yeah. So, well, I mean, a lot of that is just kind of looking back to, you know, looking at everything that you had seen or happened before through a new lens. Yes. But what about, and, and you mentioned that as you were writing it, you know, new Star Wars is coming out. Oh God, yeah, so, so much. Things you had to re- <laughs> so you had to rewrite things as it was going. But did it get to a point where instead of just like being the historian, you were now able to like prognosticate where Star Wars was going to go because you were aware of the current world events. So you're like, oh, well, I see you're doing this. So you're probably going to go to this to do this now. And yeah. then that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, to an extent. I mean, the, the, the conclusion of the book is effectively me semi prophesizing what I think is going, what the, I think mm-hmm. the future gener- mm-hmm. uh, direction of Star Wars is, is going to be. And it's effectively exactly what you're saying you know drawing okay what do we see now and how if we look at how star wars has dealt with things in the past what might this mean for things going going forwards um so i you know i would be surprised if we don't see stuff around ukraine in the future in in star Mm -hmm. wars i'd be i mean when i was writing the the conclusion i was saying you know i'm pretty sure that we're going to see stuff about trump and the, the, the you know the, the Trump presidency yeah. on January sixth and the like within the, the the pages of Star Wars without without too much issue and then it must have only been like a month ago like one of the the showrunners on Andor went yeah yeah this is basically a TV series commenting on the Trump presidency it's like well that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have felt better or, or worse if that had come out before I'd written the uh, <laughs> um, written the conclusion. Um, but what I also think you're going to see is Star Wars continuing down the same the same lines that it has done already. So I, I think the War on Terror will continue to be, you know, 9-11 will continue to be something yeah. that is mined for Star Wars. Because the tendency to talk about, you know, oh, you know, the War on Terror and 9-11, as if those are things that have finished, rather than things that are still ongoing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there yeah. is still, the War on Terror still exists in the world and you can see elements of star wars reacting to it super interestingly in the high republic um in ways that i found really really interesting so if you've read some of the high republic um novels without kind of getting into spoilers you get large-scale terrorist attacks on kind of huge recognizable events that also get beamed around the galaxy by the press um you know what is this if it is not a comment on terror in the social media age um yeah and i find it super interesting so you know star wars will will keep mining the stuff that it's always mined in that sense because because it hasn't finished yet either you know star wars hasn't finished mining it and the events haven't finished happening yet so there's always that that material there to draw on and authors are always going to be influenced by the real world you know none of these are in written by in-universe people that you know people are going to draw on their own experiences and knowledge um i did when i was reading it i did have sort of visions of you in the 90s reading through the, the post-return <laughs> of the jedi era of the warlords like isard isard and zinch thinking hmm this is really like the breakup of the soviet union was happening right now <laughs> but but yeah i, I must guess go and tell it my wasn't quite like that yeah. <laughs> but uh, did you ever yeah. once you started down the road of this book did you ever sort of um almost find yourself pushing too hard and trying to force comparisons or just didn't 
exist in the text. Yeah, I think I think that's always the the, the issue with something like this. Um, you know the the line that you know um, a workman with a hammer sees every problem as a nail. Well, you know, a First World War Star Wars historian with a book to write and a ton of material sees everything as a historical <laughs> reference. And so, you know, sometimes stuff is just stuff. But the the way around that is that um, is by understanding that, as you were saying earlier on, that, you know, the authors are as much a part of the time period that they're writing in as 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 the mm-hmm. readers are and and the example that i always go to and it's an example i've used with students for years is J.R.R. tolkien with the lord of the rings and the hobbit now obviously J.R.R. tolkien fights in the first world war he's in the trenches he's on the somme he gets trench fever and gets invalided back to 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 england um when anybody asks him you know having read lord of the rings and go wow there seems to be an awful lot in here that seems to be relating to the to the First World War in some ways. He used to get super angry about it. Go, no, there's nothing about the First World War in here. I hate it when people mm-hmm. ask me that question. No, it's just it's, a fantasy It's all the novel. fake history of Britain. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a fantasy novel. Stop reading so much into it. And it's fine for J.R.R. Tolkien to say that. I have absolutely no problem with J.R.R. Tolkien saying that. I don't have to believe him. Um, (laughs) and it's that it's that death of the author thing in that you know the authors can say what it is that they are intending to do with the piece and we can work with that but at the same time they are as just a much kind of under pressure from the world and their own experiences so maybe J.R.R. Tolkien is right maybe there is nothing in there that is overtly as far as he's concerned about the First World War however having lived through the First World War and fought in it when he's writing about war those experiences are going to have an impact whether he accepts it or not in the way that he is writing those books. So anybody writing in that post-Soviet 1990s era um, may or may not say, oh, I, I, I can't, there's, um, there's an author in that, I think it might be, it might be Kathy Tears who did The Truce at Bakura and the yes. like who said that I don't write about politics. It just, it does, I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand it. It doesn't impact my worldview. Um, I've got a lot of um, Christian friends in America who aren't super happy about science fiction and we just don't engage, I don't engage with politics. There is no politics in my books. And it's fine for her to say that. I just don't think it's true. Um, but she did write about space dinosaurs instead. She did write about space dinosaurs instead. <laughs> but at the same time, you also then get with Truce at Bakura, um, you know, the, the the New Republic and the Empire making peace to deal with a third party who exists outside of their kind of ideological prism who has to be combined <laughs> to fight against. And you get a little bit of that in the 1990s with some of the military conflicts <laughs> going on. Well, and then, so going into some of the, you know, a little earlier than the 90s, but, uh, you know, with the fact that Star Wars is pretty much at treaties on... Vietnam War is, you know, it's pretty well documented. So I guess the big question here then would be, was A New Hope, uh, like, was it George's intention that the Empire was the U.S.? Yes. Yeah, I've had a lovely time, everybody. Thanks for shooting yeah. in next week. So we... <laughs> um, yeah, in like the first uh, drafts of Star Wars, basically one of the first thing that George Lucas writes is the Empire is the United States of America, 10 years after the collapse of democracy um, or after, you know, the Republic. So, so about 2035 then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, give it, you know. 2034, <laughs> yeah, okay, got um, it. Hey, we still have some time to redirect it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, was was very overt about it in his in his mind. He's, he's, he's writing a space Vietnam film. 
Um, the rebels yeah. are the Viet Cong, which is problematic in its own ways. Um, and the the empire is the United States under you know a fascistic, collapsed democracy. United States led by everyone's favourite supervillain Richard Nixon, um, who you know. Is, is the figure that haunts the nightmares of George Lucas. I, I suspect many of us check under our beds each night to make sure that, George, that Richard Nixon is not lurking underneath. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I am not a monster. Um, and he then, you know, he, he repurposes any number of kind of Nazi imagery and there's, you know, stuff about the Soviet Union imagery in there. But his his world yeah. view of it is, is sculpted around that. And there are moments and in interviews that, that George Lucas gives where he gets kind of annoyed that people don't see the politics in it um where he's like and and even now even even now now. people are like keep the politics out of star wars i know we see that on twitter and i'm like it's a book about star wars and an evil empire it is politics like 50 percent of the name is war and war is a political action yes um I gave a, <laughs> I gave an interview to a, to a different website and they put it on their Facebook and their Twitter account. Good lord, some of those people were angry. Um, oh, I bet. <laughs> fortunately, they never quite made the leap to finding me on Facebook or Twitter, which is definitely something I didn't need in my life. <laughs> but yeah, this idea that you know there is nothing political in 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 Star Wars. There is no you know possible cor- correlation that you could draw between the real world and the like. Um, and to, to accept that as a viewpoint, you basically have to ignore the entirety of the life of George Lucas. Yeah. Um, I want to focus on the, or hang around that Viet Cong subject, because it is really well documented. But one of the other things you mentioned in the book, and this got me thinking, so you talk about the Crimean War and the charge of a yes. light brigade and how more people are more familiar with, is it Tennyson, Tennyson's poem, than yes. the actual history of the war. Now, yes. Do you think there's a possibility in sort of, say, 20, 30 years' time that people may look at Lucas's thoughts about the OT being, the original trilogy being an analogy for Vietnam War and start looking more at the analogy versus the historical truth? Yeah, I, I definitely think you could get into that into that element because George Lucas, you know, isn't a historian. He's not under any pressure to be a historian yeah. and engages what, with what can basically be termed as pop or popular history. Yeah, he's a storyteller. He's a storyteller. So he uses understandings of history, wherever they've come from, be it a Tennyson poem or, or elsewhere, to tell to tell stories and repurpose it. Um, but that isn't, a, you know, that kind of chain of, you know, Charge of the Light Brigade happens is point A. Tennyson writes poem about it is point B. You know, poem becomes wildly popular is point C. George Lucas reads poem is point D, understands <laughs> it from that and then incorporates it into... That isn't a process that has a natural end point. So, you know, Vietnam War happens is point A. Um, films about the Vietnam War come out. You know, George Lucas is working on Apocalypse Now before he's working on Star Wars. Yeah. Um, again, people then watch those films, gain an understanding of it, and that becomes uh, the overall kind of popular understanding. So I could very easily see, you know, Star Wars in the future being... Again, people are going to have to recognise it as a Vietnam War film, and some of them seem incredibly resistant to that. Um, but being seen as like a, a yeah a, a pop history commentary on the Vietnam War, that therefore provides everything that everybody needs to know about the Vietnam War because it's wildly popular and because it's super easily accessible. You know, it doesn't take long to watch Star Wars versus you know reading loads of academic books about the Vietnam War. You know, if I wanted to, if you want to learn a little bit about the Vietnam War. 
well, people already do watch Apocalypse Now or Full Metal Jacket or Platoon or... Return you know, of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> spot the odd one out. Um, it's, it's, um, it's Platoon. Um, <laughs> and, you know, media already feel, fulfills that process for us. So, you know, if, if people accept that sci-fi is doing it, then there's no reason why they wouldn't take a similar, a similar approach to it. And um, a quick, quick light note now. The next thing in my notes, because so, I'll make a note as I was going down. So page 45, I'm going to be super specific here. Oh, wow, go for it. <laughs> so you mention in the same paragraph, possibly my favourite Legends book, which is Starfighters of Adyamar, just because yep. it's hilarious. Yes, um, it's a very funny book. <laughs> my favourite video game, Force Commander. Now I spent hours Brilliant. in that game. The, in the soundtrack same... for that is banging yes well we we did um our last episode was a music episode and Ah. i i had 80 in-universe music tracks and they were all picking blindly but i had to choose the the metal theme color from force commander and just slip that in there. that was so good Um, (laughs) but also later in the book you mentioned possibly my favorite comedy of all time which is spaced so (laughs) my question is which one of my close friends paid you to write this book for me (laughs) <laughs> oh god bless you for assuming that i got paid <laughs> and also i don't think anyone else but a fellow brit could have mentioned biggles in the same context as Star Wars. Yes, yeah, I, I, I mind all of the the pop culture touchstones of my generation <laughs> um but yeah all of those because because star wars exists as you know multimedia supernova reference point i don't think you can really talk about Star Wars without talking about everything that goes on yeah. around it. So I had friends who read it, I went, oh wow, you mentioned the Family Guy stuff about Star Wars. I said, well, you kind of have yeah. to, um, because it's 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 such a big extra element. And also some of that Family Guy stuff is, you know, very pointed critiques mm-hmm. about elements of, of of Star Wars in the same way that Space did. I mean, obviously they also swear, which makes it kind of funny. <laughs> but also but, um, you've got the politics influencing star wars star wars influencing a whole generation yes. of pop culture and the politics inherent in star wars and star wars's message about previous politics all seeps down into that influence so you know it's we all know that star wars is possibly the most influential pop culture franchise to ever have existed you know yes. nothing really does come close when it permeates especially our generation yeah you know it was the first and we've all live with it and it continues to do so well i mean yeah yeah it's oh, oh no on, i was just saying i mean since early on obviously we have the fact that george lucas saw the potential with frank you know of the of it as a pop culture phenomena by getting into the toys and everything so that they from early on it was uh it was approached as not just another film this was going to be much more than just something to go watch so yes yeah it was going to be you know, a, a franchise, a, a whole cohesive mm-hmm. movement entity, um, pretty much from from the outside. Or, you know, that's what George Lucas hoped for. Um, you know, the fact that we then get an Empire Strikes Back as a film rather than um, Splinter of a Mind's, Splinter Eye. Of a mind's Eye as a, <laughs> as a as an alternative is, you know, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciated the comparing of the New Republic to the UN, um, but the fact that like 100% <laughs> unity is something that has eluded both of those uh, geopolitical powers, and it made me look at what's happening today in Ukraine, 
uh, and reflect back yeah. on those late 90s Bantam Legends books. Um, although you also make the case that Canon's uh, New Republic is more about appeasement and possibly denial. And we all know how yes. well that turned out for them. So, <laughs> yeah, super badly. Um, I mean, with the with the New Republic and the UN one, um, the obvious, and I, I I think I try to mention it in the book, yeah. is that you have to you have to take into account like the narrative rationale for all of this stuff. Mm. I've been saying to various people, no one is going to go out and buy a book called Cohesive Smoothly Run Government <laughs> <Yes>. Simulator um, <laughs> of, oh no, something bad is happening, but fortunately this, I mean the, the people in charge are really smart, yeah. you know and everything works, so, oh problem solved, we had a committee, <laughs> we did some funding we I'd had a rapid there. reaction thing Yeah, I'd live there I mean, oh, I mean, it We would great, live but, there, but um, we wouldn't read about it <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't watch that movie So, no so the New Republic kind of has to be flawed for narrative yeah. potential. But the New Republic is hopelessly flawed. Yeah. Because at various points of that 1990s EU thing, they constantly prioritise their own kind of element of peace over justice. Yeah. Um, over, you know, the, the need to do something right. Um, and you see multiple books that have, you know, quite barefaced genocide taking place. And the New Republic stood on the sideline and goes... I don't know how this is going to play in the press, kids. Um, you know, we, the, the, we're going to get letters um, if we if we send people out to, to deal with this stuff. And, you know, we've been fighting a war and we're very happy and peaceful now. So maybe, maybe you, everyone on your planet has to die. <laughs> um, and you get that kind of Srebrenica, yeah. Rwandan genocide element of the UN. And, you know, you get a similar critique of, of the Jedi. But what's interesting with the canon and the way that they have very much closely sculpt what you see about the canon around you know very recognizable real world kind of interwar moments of appeasement towards either nazi germany mm -hmm. or or the first order where basically just continuing to turn a blind eye yeah. to the actions of the bad guys across the road simply because very much do not want to fight another war so if we just let them get on with it then we don't have to fight another war um and that leads to your planet getting blown up um and you know everyone across the galaxy watching it because sometimes you know the the, the historical lessons and you know the, even the idea of learning things from history is is a bit of a weird one but you know totalitarian dictatorships don't stop at being appeased um they have you know they have quite grand ambitions yeah. um and you know when they're already out there giving speeches you know very clearly outlining their genocidal plans it might be worth listening to them so are we still um, talking star wars I've, it's, it's it all sounds very very blur. familiar yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and another bit i really liked about the book which made me reevaluate uh another book which is um you mentioned kevin j anderson's thoughts on darksaber and i'd never read this before so he basically says, I've had books about the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Yeah. Now, I've always mocked that book as being more about <laughs> the perils of... It's, it's, it's a funny book, but it's yeah. more about the perils of bad managers micromanaging projects to predictably terrible results. That's yeah, yeah, what yeah, I always thought that book was about. It's the threat of middle management. <laughs> yeah. And then you talk about nuclear weapons, and I'm like, yeah, I got that wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think that's a really useful example and it's also a good example about that you know to an extent what you're saying but in, in in other ways as well about the difference between author intent and audience reception yes because in that interview kevin j anderson is quite 
annoyed that everyone's like, oh, it's just it's super weapon of the week, everybody. Last yeah. week we had a Sun Crusher and we've had a Death Star before and now we've got a Dark Saber. You know, we just scraped the old nameplate off the last one and we slapped a new one on it. And, oh, no, it's blown up and it's fine. It's like, that's not what the book's about. It's about if you create these enormous, horrible, mass destruction weapons as a state and then your state collapses they're going to end up in the hands of people that you don't want them to end up in the hands of and you know we should we should take that very very seriously but again you know i didn't read that in the 1990s going wow kevin j anderson's right i do have concerns about this the uh the nuclear weapons of the post-soviet union um i'll write a letter to my mp um because you know i was it went way over my head i was in secondary school and but, you know, it's a clear symbol of, you know, I'm trying to tell you something that you need I, I to was understand. just thinking, I was just thinking, I never want to live in a block of flats that the huts are built. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's going to horribly it. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Or would you rather um, live on one that the Imperials have, like, built? I mean, look at the deaths. No, because there'll be a super star destroyer underneath it and it will come out. Dad. <laughs> or trash or, my neighborhood. That or, or the fact that they build all these bridges without guardrails or anything on the side. It's very dangerous. <laughs> so What I find super interesting about Imperial architecture. This is I no no hold on. Segue. Just so you know, I, okay. I am an architect, so I have okay. I have a lot to say about the architectural design in Star Fantastic. Wars. So. Is the extent to which the Imperials will throw tons of money at stuff, like the Death Star yes. or something like that. There were various, you know, things where it basically bankrupts the Empire. You know, it's, uh, Darth Vader's Super Star Destroyer also almost bankrupts mm-hmm. the Empire. But also, the things that they are ridiculously cheap about. Yes. Um, for example, glass <laughs> in the Inquisitor's base underwater, yeah. which is breaking all the time. <laughs> spend a little bit more money once this has happened more than once clearly there's a there's a wider issue here um i mean there's a whole thing and i i forget who i was talking to about this but it's like it just it really reflects the the empire's just um value of their their stormtroopers and everything i mean their uniforms what are they made of because they die they get shot with a, <laughs> a blaster bolt, kills them. So clearly, it's doing nothing for them. But that's just, you know, yes. it does speak to how expendable people are yes. to the Empire. Like, they don't matter. And also, training a fighter pilot in the real world costs yeah. a ton of money. Yeah. yeah. And if that fighter pilot dies, you've lost all yeah. of that money. So the Empire is training up, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of TIE fighter pilots. And at the moment when they get good enough to use in battle, they <laughs> die. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, you, you want to get the point across that they're expendable. But also, that's a reasonable amount of expertise yeah. that you've just got blown up yeah. because they're flying around in a cereal yeah. box. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't there. Uh, maybe, Trev, I don't know if you remember, remember if it's in one of the books or not. But there was when the whole shift happens from using the clones to using people, right? There was a whole thing with the, I mean, the clones were expensive because they are going through all this training and they are really good yeah. at what they do. So, I mean, yeah. those would be the ones that would have actually, like when Obi-Wan in A New Hope says that only a stormtrooper could <laughs> could have had that kind it's of precision. So <laughs> but yeah. then we see stormtroopers or they're not very precise at all. But I no. mean, there was, they mentioned that in a book, right? Where they decided to make that shift from from clones to people it's, it's, yeah it's mentioned it in, in a few books and you see it and i think you see it in the comics the sort of post um the, the yeah. canon post revenge of assist comics more i think they commentate on that we've and never had like the bad a batch as well to it. yeah 
Um, because obviously, you know, growing a human and, you know, f- quick growing a human yeah. from a clone and like and train them is expensive when humans grow themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't have to you don't have to plant them. Everyone who now exists in the galaxy and is a human. Yeah. Is effectively the Empire's turn to do with what they want. So, yeah, you're going to end up with worse troops, but you're also going to end up with cheaper troops but, because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to plant them in fertilizer yeah. or whatever you're <laughs> doing on Camino. But then, I mean, then there's the issue, right, that if now you're relying on people that are indoctrinated into the Empire and or some of them, re, you know, forcing them or, you know, making them feel like this is their only option, that the, yeah. it'll take at some point, they're, they're, they might reach a point where a breaking point, right? Or they might want to defect. Uh, yes. You know, but, but yeah, so a lot of, you know, these people that are, are technically normal human beings or, you know, they, <laughs> they, tec- they have done horrible things. And, yep. but I'm, you know, in the book itself, like in your book, like, yep. do we, at, like, do we take into account, or I don't know if, we, if you really took into account, right, the, the, that the decisions that they made, that how when they were um, when they, when they were making these decisions, that that they were under extreme duress, right, or threat to their loved ones, and so that's the part where it's like, and you know, we cheer when we see them die, or we see them like when they explode the Death Star, and there's millions of people in there that have just died too. But it's just like the part yeah. I, th- I think that a lot of us not just forget about the fact that a lot of these people, this was their only option. This was their the only way they could possibly help their 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 family to some sort of yeah. legitimate life what's interesting about the new canon is the extent to which um some of those inner workings start to, to come out so in alexander freed's um alphabet mm-hmm. squadron trilogy which is an amazing trilogy yes. of books which i adore i mean obviously i was like oh it's going to be like rogue squadron no it's not <laughs> it's really really yes. not <laughs> Um, but they make clear in the in the final book the extent to which the empire is designed that everybody who works for it is complicit yes. um, in the crimes and it's and it's designed to make those people go well I have to protect the empire because if I don't I'm going to end up in a war crimes yeah. tribunal um, because I've done awful awful things for whatever reason under duress under fear because I was ordered to or whatever it is down it. Everybody in the Empire was designed to be complicit in the worst mm-hmm. crimes of, of the Empire. Um, and it'll be interesting to see as that kind of Imperial era gets fleshed out, the extent to which, you know, people are willing recruits. And there's going to be a ton of them. There's no, there's, there's no kind of um, way that it's going to be everybody in there is doing it with, with you know, with a with with an inquisitor's blade to their back or the like you know there are going to be plenty of people who buy into the ideals of the empire and therefore go out with like a song in their heart to commit whichever kind of merry genocide chief has decided on this week um but within that those who are operating basically under threat to their lives um in in a variety of ways now what makes that even more interesting is back in that expanded universe period is the extent to which the new republic and the rebel alliance turn a blind eye to the crimes committed by people in the service to the empire Mm -hmm. as long as they're willing to now join the rebellion or the new republic Mm. and you get you know a variety you know big starklighter trained at the imperial academy was an imperial fighter pilot you know with the aim of defecting and joining the rebel alliance yeah but then you also get people like crix maydeen um who is a perpetrator of genocide. (laughs) Um, And, um, 
you know, releases, I think it's called the Kandorian Plague or something like that, and which killed yeah. billions and billions of people, feel super bad about it, joins the Rebel Alliance, and they go, well, as long as you feel bad about it. It's like, well, is that is that the metric? But again, wasn't, wasn't there the fact that, you know, his family were being threatened at that point? And it was kind of a... Being forced to do it is what made him. Yeah, leave. he could have he could have self sacrificed himself and yeah. not done it, but somebody else would have done it anyway. Oh yeah, but there's also an element of let somebody else do it then. Well, yeah. <laughs> but at the cost of his own life. At the cost of his own life, um, and possibly his family's. Yes, but then you get kind of like those those weird kind of conversations around. I think it's um, Isar's revenge in regards to people like Borsk failure and the fact like Mon Mothma going. So who would who wouldn't we say? yes to like if Darth Vader turned up or Grand Moff Tarkin turned up and said I'm very sorry are, are they allowed in um <laughs> where, where are we drawing the line on kind of remorse yeah. and I committed I killed billions of people because of this verifiable reason because you know Grand Moff Tarkin could turn up and go oh well I had to do it because if I hadn't Darth Vader would have choked me to death I go that's not true <laughs> yes. but <laughs> if it, it, it's, a, it's a decent line to, to, to yeah. present and you end up with that element of the idea that there is, you can tell by looking at someone if their remorse is genuine or not, and if they are a rebel at heart. Yeah. And I find that super interesting in regards to how I mean, it would functions. help. It would help if you have Jedi on your team. Yes. <laughs> who can read people's minds. Yeah, because I mean, didn't a lot of that um, happen in our world, right? With like, especially like after World War Two, where a lot of the German yes. scientists were brought over to the United States and everything. It's like. Yeah, you did horrible stuff. You were supporting a terrible regime that was doing horrible yeah. things. But you know a lot about rockets. exactly. <laughs> yes, but we need so... your brains. <laughs> yes. And you get in in Germany in the in the post Second World War period, mm-hmm. you get which is largely driven by the Americans, the denazification mm-hmm. process of basically everybody who's kind of exists in some form of recognisable role is is ranked into kind of, you know, how hardcore of a Nazi were you really? <laughs> um, you know, some of you are going to Nuremberg and yeah. then either to the gallows or to Spandau. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, everybody else to kind of varying degrees of re-education. And after a couple of years, the Americans just go, we've, we've got to stop, actually. We, we can't carry on with this. Because all of the people that we're assessing regardless of how hardcore Nazis they were, and some of them were super mm-hmm. hardcore Nazis, at the same time, to exist in the civil service in, Amer- in in Germany and therefore know how to run the country, you couldn't help but be a member of the yeah. Nazi party. You're, they're the only people yeah. who are allowed yeah. in. So everyone who knows how to orchestrate the whole infrastructure of this country is a Nazi. Yeah. But they're the only ones who know how to do it. So if we start locking them all up, I haven't got the faintest idea how to operate a, a German power plant yeah. or the German <laughs> transit system. We... We're going to have to employ these people because they're the only ones who know how to do yeah. it. And that's definitely a point that's been made in Star Wars literature in the past yes. as well. When the yeah, you know, to exist within Palpatine's empire and know how to think, how everything works. Yeah, there's a loyalty test on the way in, but you're the only ones who know how to be a moth or a governor or or, or yeah. a planetary mayor or whatever. And I, I suppose to an extent, we're just going to have to go. You should really. Think very strongly about the life choices you've made over the yes, last 15, yes. 20 years. At the same time, I guess it's yeah. you or no one. Yeah, but I. Yeah, carry on doing what you're doing. But doing nice. yeah, absolutely yeah. no imperialism for five to ten yeah. years. Yes. Well, because like, it's also hard, you know, before the empire itself, like, I always just. I get why the separatists were trying to separate from the republic, right? Because there was all. I mean, it was a highly corrupt 
government. Yeah, it was. And they were just all the little outer rim planets were getting nothing from it. So, of course, the idea of just like, you know, so why am I part of this thing that is just messing me up? Like, it's not, not doing anything yeah. for me. And then when the empire first starts, obviously, there's just there is a semblance of hope that things might get better for them. And I can, you know, in such a vast gal- uh, you know, galaxy, I'm sure that some of those planets were actually were better off. I mean, we, the, what we're seeing in the story, like in the, in the movies, in the books and all stuff, these are obviously just glimpses of specific people's lives and how terrible they are. And, and we also have the, the advantage of being able to see everything from our point of view, where it's like, oh, yeah, there's a Sith leading everything. And, <laughs> and that's not good. But... There's also that other side, not only the people that are working for the Empire under duress or because they feel like their, you know, their family, their families might get murdered. But there's also the planets and the people that are possibly benefiting from a more more order that the the order that their Empire was like or established and that they were doing okay, And then then that gets knocked down. And now that the New Republic starts and it's like. Now it's all chaos again, and no one has control. So, like, how is this really helping anyone? You get, um, and and again, that's drawing on kind of very particular kind of real world examples. Because obviously, you know, Palpatine designs the Clone Wars to not just you know kill the Jedi, take power, but to exhaust everybody in the galaxy so they will accept the peace which he provides mm. to them in whatever form it comes. Um, so, you know, everyone's super relieved at the end of the Clone Wars because the Clone Wars has ended. Yeah. Okay, the, the, the Republic's an empire now, but it, you know, it's peace and peace is worth it. Yeah. And it's, you know, going to be the immediate knee-jerk thing. Um, and there are definitely planets in the galaxy that are, you know, are doing better under imperialism. And even if we take a planet like, um, like Alderaan, you know, we've just watched Kenobi. Alderaan is a core world under the rule of the empire, along with all the other core worlds. There are no stormtroopers wandering the streets that I saw. In there, right, you know, right. there doesn't appear to be the imperial mechanism pressing down on on what is you know potentially seen as a potentially rebellious yeah. world, given what we know what happens to Alderaan. Out in the yeah, outer they're rim, having dinner parties and yeah. you know buffets. Out in the outer rim, you're having a real bad time um, because that's where the empire is is expanding and cracking down on, and you know probably using the the auspices of of separatists to do it. But what you see about real world dictatorships and what happens when they kind of come to power and also what happens when they when they fall is that there is a a stable predictability to existing within a Mm -hmm. dictatorship all you have to do is you have to understand the rules you know if you go stalin's just a terrible person guys are going to kick your door down at three o'clock in the morning and you're going to get killed in the same way if you were to say you know i think darth vader's a loser (laughs) exactly the same thing is probably going to happen um and but at the same time particularly on those core worlds or in, you know, Moscow at various points in the, under the Soviet Union, if you turn the tap on, water comes out. If you go to the shop, there's yeah. bread there. You know, there might only be one type of bread, but, you know, you can go to the shop and you can buy food. Um, if you flick a light switch, the power comes on. It's that stable predictability. If I obey, if I understand and obey the rules, these are the things that will happen. Mm-hmm. When the dictatorship collapses, okay, I can now say, you know, Darth Vader was a loser, but can I guarantee that water's going to come out of mm-hmm. my tap? Possibly not. And how do you therefore deal with the change to, okay, I have this element of freedom. You know, I'm not being actively oppressed anymore. But at the same time, the the logistics, the infrastructure of my world are different. I don't know if I will find bread when I go to the shop because we've now got this this collapsed government and this chaos that comes afterwards. 
and that's that's 100 you know a verifiable real world thing you know you get it sometimes as as a slogan in in hollywood films but i've spoken to people who lived in um what had been the soviet union or the kind of eastern east germany and the like and you know they would have you know, no people who would say this in regards to you know freedom's great but you can't eat it <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah that element of you know f- great I, i'm not being actively oppressed in the manner that you understood and that i understood but at the same time yeah. everything about this world has collapsed yeah and i quite liked being able to eat and turn the light switch on <laughs> and have water come out of my tap so maybe your freedom isn't as as valuable as my ability to eat yeah um, and I, I think that you probably get elements of that in the post-imperial world and in the post-separatist world, you know, the collapse of the infrastructure yeah. and you're being told that what you've got now is better, but you can't eat it. Yeah, no, I, I think we see hints of that in The Mandalorian yeah. right, and anything right. else in the series of that, but, um, you know, that the Republic is just, the New Republic is just something that exists Far out away. there. Yeah, it does, doesn't affect... Doesn't affect me. Doesn't affect my my dinner plate. Exactly. No, well, I mean, let's say yeah. The um, regular people, if if they don't see, if it doesn't affect their day to day, then either the government is not working because they don't see any benefit from it, or you know, or or, or they just don't care about it. And and it just reminds me yeah. of there was this one this interview um, that I listened to back when, right after uh, Trump got elected here in in America. <laughs> that there was this person that um someone someone from the middle of america small town they're like so why did you vote for him and he's like well i know he's a i don't i don't like him as a person or anything but the government does nothing for me like it has never worked for me so they would rather like take that spin the, wheel. spin the wheels like set the you know set it all burn it all down like Kylo Ren would say, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like burn it all down and start, from, you know, whatever, take a gamble on this thing that will be completely different, that it might not work. But if it doesn't work, it's not going to change anything in my, like, because it already is not working. So yeah. it either stays as bad as it is, or it, perhaps it's different. And yeah, yeah I mean, there's definitely uh, uh, British examples around 2016 that I can think of, which uh, <laughs> had um, yeah. similar yes. viewpoints of, you know, X isn't working for me, and this is what I've always known. So, why must yeah. potentially be better? Yeah. Because this already doesn't doesn't work for me, yeah. and for whatever reason, it doesn't work for me. So let's see if, yeah. if I spin the wheel, yeah. if what I've created will be better. Yeah. And this, pro- and they had a bus. <laughs> and they had a bus. Well, yeah. <laughs> and buses are very convincing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we've we've spoke about Nazis, and you know, you talk about the Third Reich a lot in your book. We're a lighthearted family. So, um, <laughs> But in the in the sequel trilogy, we see that sort of Nazi imagery yeah. much more overtly mm. than we saw in the original trilogy with relation to the First Order. Yes. Now, purely speculatively, because this, for reasons that become clear, you couldn't really talk about it in your book. But do you think that was purely a creative design choice to make it very easy to go, these are the bad guys? Or do you think it was maybe a more subtle commentary on current world affairs the state of the world i i think varying degrees both mm-hmm. i think obviously you know it's super easy to make nazis the bad guys because yeah. they're awful people yeah. and you know yeah. they're, they're, they're they are bad apart guys. from the ones who were just working apart from all the ones who are just working and you know <laughs> um uh, being mayor of of, of of space town um and um but i i yeah i think that it is a common on a rising element of kind of far-right ideology in in the world today um simply because 
it's happening at the same time. Um, and again, you know, whether or not J.J. Abrams would say yes or no, or Kathleen Kennedy would say yes or no, I think that, you know, the, the, the fact that this is an emerging issue in the lead up to yeah. 2015, which is when Force Awakens comes out, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, that, you know, again, it's, you know, it's pre-Trump, it's pre, you know, a variety of things, but you've still got kind of this, this rise of what was, was termed at the time the alt-right yeah. um, and the, like within uh, kind of online culture and other, and other aspects. That I yeah, th- so there was still a lot of pockets in uh, Europe that were, yes. kind of, you know, hungry even around that time. I think um, France had their close miss. Yes, uh, with, uh, with Le Pen and then obviously afterwards you get the likes of um, Bolsonaro and like in, 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 in Brazil. So yeah. yeah, I think it is an opportunity partly for them to go, well, the aesthetic for this is just super easy because everyone recognises Nazis yeah. and know they're the bad guys. We don't have to explain that to people who are watching the film about why these guys might not necessarily be the yeah. heroes. But also... I think they're drawing on what is easiest to draw on, which is always what is ever is going on at the moment. Um, And um, yeah, so I think, I think it probably is partly a kind of a super easy aesthetic. And I also think particularly is it the way that it goes on and the way that the sequel trilogy ends as well is, you know, with a mass uprising of ordinary people to defeat a clearly kind of fascistic, um, kind of overlords, yeah. undying element um, is is a commentary on what they believe is required to deal with <laughs> fascism in the 21st yeah. century. Plus, I mean, I think that that kind of regime that they establish in the sequel trilogy, after you read the Aftermath uh, trilogy and you get to really understand the kind of uh, just the lack of order in the general yes. uh, galaxy after a regime collapses then something that becomes gets to the level of what the um what they're doing in the sequel trilogy makes a lot more sense that they would go for something more fascistic like that because it's sort of like yes. there there is a like there is chaos everywhere because now these people are just they want to be nice with everyone so they can't establish actual laws so then let's just go yeah. to the complete other side of the spectrum and make it ex- very 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 ordered and that, that is to, to yes. me that was a response of, of what the first order was is that it's like a response to the real life struggles of chaos that were happening after a regime that was yeah that that is that, that existed for decades falls yes and creates this this vacuum of what is going to fill it and it and it and it's this kind of incredibly fascistic militaristic yes. ideology of order i mean you know there's there's obviously you know and we've touched on it already, you know, a very clear kind of Second World War reading of, you know, what ends up defeating the First Order and the Final Order, also known as Nazi Germany, is the mass combination of everyone yeah. in the in the world or the galaxy yeah. um, in a, you know, almost kind of storming the beaches of Normandy mm-hmm. um, moment. But yeah, that kind of that. I mean, J.J. Abrams says when he's making The Force Awakens, that his initial starting point for the First Order is what if all of the Nazis had got together in Argentina um, and decided to... He always describes them like like a boy band of like they decided, you know, 20 years <laughs> later to get the gang together yeah. um, and, you know, see if they can make music again. Um, you know, what... Yeah, let's give uh, it another go. Another go. <laughs> you know, what, would it, what would it look like if yeah. all of the Nazis had got together in Argentina yeah. and this is what it ends up with? So what would it look like if all, you know, the hardcoreist imperial zealots got together um, you know, indoctrinated their yeah. children and then 30 years later decided to take another swing at it. Well, that's why... I think the the scariest sort of in-universe uh, fact would be 
if you take out the fact that Palpatine was pulling the strings all along, if you take that out, because we didn't know that until Rose Skywalker, yeah. Yeah. but just how quickly the First Order came yeah. together, how many, because it it seems, even from like, you know, the engineers up, it seems a lot more willing. Yes. You know, a lot less do it or we're yeah. going to kill you. It's like, hey, we're back. Do you want to come? Yeah. And very quickly, they've got a lot yeah. of people. Well, um, that's for, that's for scary. Place, you have you you have millions and millions of people that were part of that machine, and all their children are the ones that are running the first order. And I think that's what, to me, like General Hux in in the first movie, or you know, in a, in, in a Force Awakens, like it made total sense to me that he would be one to be leading the efforts because he doesn't know what the Empire was actually doing. He just has ideas of it, and then he, obviously he's a child, so he would only know about the triumphs and, and great things that the Empire was able to do. And then now you yeah. have all the chaos. They're like, no, that doesn't work. So, and it's not only him, it's all the children that were also working for the Empire. Yeah, they've all been in a, like a, an ideological pressure cooker right. for 30 years, and all they've had is First Order Imperial ideology yeah. hammered into them. Um, but you can go, oh, you know, in 30 years they've managed to do that. The Nazis did it in six, uh, from 33 to 39, oh, yeah. of a whole generation of, of kids and everyone living, you know, the, a good chunk of the people living in Germany to get them on board with the idea about, you know, what Germany was and what Germany could be. All we have to do is X, Y, Z. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of unsettling when you think about yeah. it like that. Yeah. So, so let's let's lighten up yeah. again. Um, <laughs> How can you so, lighten up with a so book you, about history and politics and Death we, Stars and democracy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you know, I can, you know, I can. Um, so you use a phrase in this book, which is something Jose has talked about a lot. He's particularly fixated. What, on it. <laughs> what is um, this? Uh, oh God! And I'm, I, w- I just want to know: Did you invent this phrase yourself? Did you come up with it, or did it come from somewhere else? And that phrase is. Planet of Hats. Ah, no, it's an existing recognisable trope. Um, so I, the concept I already knew about of, to so give kind of a rundown of, is basically where um, it's... it's So all Rhodians are, all bounty, Rhodians hunters, are bounty hunters. All, all Nimodians are bankers, yes. of, well, merchants. Yes. Because um, it's something we talk about a lot, how, how actually quite small the Star Wars universe Yeah is you know we revisit the same places yeah. we use the same aliens all the all the aliens do have the same job yes it's not populated um, with I millions ju- of aliens it's populated with lots of aliens all of whom are identical yes yeah yes they yes. just have different names yeah. um, um uh, so the fact that I've, I've now got a term i can use for that particular way of uh, populating the universe I was, I was thrilled about yeah that. so i had to because i knew that the concept existed because it's you know exists both in star wars and in star trek to an extent mm-hmm. the idea that you what you end up is is monocultures yes where you know everybody in it might have a different address and a fir- different first name but they all do exactly the same things yeah. <laughs> only humans are allowed to be different um but in order to put that into the book i needed to have you need to be able to call it something and yeah. reference it to something so tv tropes yeah. i think is the place i ended up going to for planet of the hats <laughs> um which is and I, there's various stuff i got from tv tropes i think i get like the wharf effect and about you know if you if you want to show somebody's tough in star trek get him to beat up Wharf, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. he's recognisably <laughs> the most powerful guy. So if you can punch him yeah. in the face, then you must be yep. more powerful. Yep. <laughs> um, and in the expanded universe, it's effectively it's either the Chewbacca or the Luke Skywalker yeah. effect of to show how powerful you are. You either punch Chewbacca in the face or you render Luke Skywalker helpless um, as, a, as a way of explaining kind of individual power. Yeah. 
Well, it, it kind of like tied to that idea, and I'm kind of I want to tie it back a little bit to this whole idea of I mean I'm making it serious again about the whole idea of of uh, then the sequel Sammy trilogy <laughs> being more uh, influenced by Nazi Germany and all, um, and then the original trilogy being more influenced I guess by the Vietnam War, but something that I to me with the Empire itself that there's no aliens in there either, right? So they're all no. humans. So to me, that I I grew up always thinking that the empire was a was a Nazi sort of regime, and so and obviously yeah, it didn't have the iconography that the First Order has. And after reading like your book and a lot of other things, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that, I can see the parallels to Vietnam in here. <laughs> but yeah, but I don't know. I, I, as a kid, I just always assumed that you know, hey, these are racists that just yeah. think that humans are the the one race and that you know yes. we just exploit all the you know and make slaves all these other alien races except for thrawn which is a, the, the one alien that somehow was able to it's get useful through enough. yeah um yeah that's that's definitely i mean what you end up with is you get the practical reason and the in-universe reason and the practical reason is alien puppets are expensive yes. humans are yeah. free yes um there's a lot of english people around the <laughs> studio in london where you can feel and you can put them in uniforms right. and they can look like you know imperial nazis and all of a sudden they're yeah. evil. All oh yeah sudden, oh yeah they're, they're all, they all have the same accent too right and it just you know perfectly holds together um what's interesting is you know the idea that the um that the empire is, you know, massively xenophobic and, you know, very much a kind of a humanity first is something that really gets drawn out from the expanded universe mm-hmm. because it never really gets yes. discussed yeah. in the films. It's just the empire is, is entirely human. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody else is, the the, the, the rebellion is, is kind of made up of, of aliens and therefore they're better and there's kind of, you, you get the, the hierarchy. But what I find interesting about that is right up until like a couple of shots of Return of the Jedi, the rebels are all humans too. Yeah, yeah, um, true, true. Well, this this isn't something I'd really noticed until I read it in it's when, in one of your later chapters, yeah. possibly the last chapter, and I was going, yeah, <laughs> because because you just especially now with the yeah. sequel trilogy and everything, you just and all the expanded universe, yeah. you assume that aliens make up all of yeah. their ranks, but the only one you've got in the entire Yavin throne room. Is Chewie. And he doesn't get a medal. He doesn't even get a medal. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the racist now, yeah. guys? <laughs> yeah. No, but it's true. I mean, it's I, I did notice that. And yeah, when they're all planning their attack on the Death Star in A New Hope and everyone's sitting in there, they're all humans too. And they're all wearing the same uniform. And it's just like, wait, where are all the aliens? But <laughs> so yeah. it, it also just makes you wonder that, hey, maybe all the alien worlds are okay. <laughs> it's just like humans thinking that, oh, they must be in a bad shape because <laughs> we we don't like it. So we're going to battle against the yeah, regime. Yeah, so everyone else must hate it. <laughs> Um, but one thing I thought about reading that, I started thinking about... I started thinking like you, Chris. So I was thinking, well, maybe this was because the rebellion was mostly human because that species is more prevalent, and that's what caused the human bias. Or maybe certain alien species didn't join until the Empire had done enough to warrant their particular planet rising up, and then the real world analogies of existence. Yeah, it's probably yeah. more that dangerous did, to be an alien by the end of it, than you, it is to be a human. Yeah. Yeah, by the end of it, you'd brain. By the end of this book, you'd brainwash yeah. me into, into thinking all these things. Well, I also. F- well, that's you. We'll put that on the cover. Yeah, but I. I but I also feel like it's in the in the prequel trilogy. Um, a lot of those separatist worlds are aliens, 
And it also, so it also, so yes. if you put it all into that context, and one could possibly argue that, you know, th those are the separatists. So those are perhaps the, those planets are the ones that are maybe thriving more now under imperial rule than they were under republic rule. Therefore, they will not be as willing to support a, a rebellion when they're actually doing better than they were 50 years before. So. I think you also get an element because it gets touched upon in one of the Thrawn novels again about you know the separatists. There were a lot of aliens in the separatists or non-humans in the mm -hmm. separatists, and there's, there's you still have that ill feeling yeah. from kind of the galactic core, which was the Republic, towards them. But I think you also get an element of um, those worlds that had kind of either leaned towards the separatists or joined the separatists are then conquered. Yeah, um, they're not just enveloped back into the Republic, the Empire conquers them and the Republic mm -hmm. is conquering them at the same time. So it's easier to keep them under under the, the, the heel of a clone trooper or a stormtrooper because you were already doing it mm -hmm. on, on you know, the, in the 15 minutes before the Empire was declared. Um, and, you know, everybody living on those worlds is going to know that, you know, we rose up last time and we got crushed yeah. for it and we lost. Yeah. Um, and that was when we had, you know, a big separatist organization a state to help us fight this we're now on our own out here and we've been conquered maybe it's just better to keep our heads down right. and you know try and find a way to eke something out of this you know if something good comes along like a rebellion which i, I imagine we'll get elements of in andor and like going forwards then you know we'll bide our time but in the, you know we fought and we lost and we've and you know we are very very heavily subjugated now no one's going to come and help us yeah so um was there anything after the book came out that you thought i wish i'd written about that not about any any new star wars content but any you know anything existing that you kind of reflected on went how did i not how did i not write about that anything that <laughs> you just kind of missed <laughs> um i mean there's 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 loads of stuff that I, I wanted to get in the book and it didn't make it in and stuff like that but how, how was the editing process was there a lot that you cut yes <laughs> oh, i can oh, see that in your face oh, 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 like oh no <laughs> This book was posited at being 80,000 words. It is not 80,000 words long. Um, it is, it is... There's 80,000 words of sources <laughs> yeah. in there. It's, it's got to be over 100,000 words in there um, at a minimum. Um, so, you know, various bits and pieces got cut out. But you sometimes end up with, when you do a book like this, and somebody will ask, oh, have you put this in it? And you have to go, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> For either I decided to ditch it early on, or it wasn't under the purview. So, you know, I've had people ask, oh, have you done loads of stuff about, you know, George Lucas's interactions and the ideas of, like, Kurosawa? So, wait, it's mentioned, but mm. no, because... <laughs> that's, that's a book by that's itself. A, yeah, that's a book by itself, and it doesn't it doesn't mm. serve the, the wider purposes and needs of this book. But at the same time as saying it, you may, you, it feels a little bit like you're going, well, no, my book is bad. <laughs> uh, it doesn't contain the thing that you wanted in it. So, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Um, I mean, it's so hard to try and think about the stuff that, that made it, that didn't make it in. There was loads of, like, little snippets and stuff. There was, you know, I could have written loads more about Rebels, and the Bad Bats doesn't really make it in. And there's loads to, that could have been said yeah. about the Bad Bats. They basically have a Tiananmen Square episode. Um, yeah. which is super and interesting. And the, the Gorma Massacre in the Gorma uh, Rebels, Massacre. which, again, wasn't quite as brutal as the Legends one, but yeah. I was thrilled to see a mention of it because that's one of my... It, this sounds a weird thing to say. It's one of my favourite Legends moments. Yes. Just because it 
personifies the emperor in a way you don't really see on screen. Okay, they blew up a planet. Yeah. But it's a nameless, faceless planet. Yeah. You don't really see. I mean, again, there is a face to Tiananmen it. There's square over again. There's Leia. Leia. <laughs> well, yeah, but she was she wasn't on oh, right. it. So. Yeah. She wasn't holding that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She was at work with her dad. Yeah. Um, and you know, stuff like that is super interesting. But the balance I ended up trying to strike with it, and this was partly, you know. Honestly, partly motivated by my own interests, and it's you know basically the only benchmark you can go f- for. But also, whenever you're writing a history book, um, which this is, you know, as well as being like a, an expression of my of my geeky interaction, you know, there's elements of you know what do what do I want to tell the readers of this, but also what do I want to give to the field for this? You know, once yeah. this book is out. It, it, it exists to be developed on whether people would go you know i read kempshaw's work it was garbage here's a better book which explains why it's garbage you know also you know aside from our my feelings that's fine this is how the, the process is supposed to work and what i decided that the field needed more than stuff about rebels and bad match was the expanded universe mm-hmm. because it's just not realistic to ask a random historian to go and read 300 books. There were 211 books cited in this book, according to my citation manager. You know, the vast <laughs> majority of them are expanded universe novels. It is not realistic to expect somebody who hasn't already done it to go away and read that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. to provide to the field of Star Wars studies something that coalesces that into a usable form that can be built and developed on. So that was why there's so much, I mean, partly because there's so much to say about the 1990s period and the early 2000s period and like, but also that's why there's so much of it, because I thought the field needs this. Star Wars studies needs an overview of the expanded universe. Other people could then go, okay, this is interesting. I will now go and read the X-Wing novels as a Mm -hmm. expression of my study into Star Wars masculinity. And let's see how much the X-Wing novels tie into (laughs) Top Gun as a, as a comparison. Um, fantastic go you know oh can't wait to read it but it needs that the field needs that foundation and the only people who were going to be able to write it were fucking losers like me who'd want to <laughs> hundreds of Star Wars uh, novels but but then one thing you said just then was about people you know which started this whole question you saying to imaginary people i'm sorry this isn't the book you wanted it to be yeah this is exactly the book I never knew I wanted <laughs> until I until I read it. And even when it was first kind of talked about, I can't remember whether I'd, I'm sure I've said this to you on on Twitter. Even when like, the sort of first blurb comes out, I was reading, it going, "Yes, it's, it's not my thing." Because yeah. I, I, I read I read the fiction. It's yeah. it's what I'm into, you know. The the real world analogies aren't my bag. But the more I spoke to you about it and your enthusiasm about it, and when that preview came out, I'm like. Holy shit! I, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like I said, I've, I'm really glad it's found yeah. an audience. It's, yeah, it's, it's worthy of an audience. It's it's an incredible piece yeah. of work, well documented, well written. Yeah, great, yeah. Great if job. you want to write a review for like the Utini website, saying exactly that, I'll, 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 I'll thank you a lot. Um, it's it's a very weird thing. Both this and battles have been have been amazing you know they've clearly been amazing but very unusually and disconcerting for someone like me who is basically an academic historian because as depressing as this sounds this is 100 percent the truth 
we don't write things and expect people to read them. Um, yeah. Because, you know, academic books cost a fortune. They're in niche topics that, you know, we find super interesting. Um, but... And so do six other and people. And so do six other people, and I know all of their names. Um, it's... So to have battles and then this book come out and for their... I mean, for anybody to notice yeah. is quite unusual. But for people to be like... I really like this or I really want to read this and there to be this kind of groundswell of 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 approval and enjoyment is amazing and I absolutely love it because I've never had it before but it's a very weird thing because you know I, I I don't get a lot of podcast interview requests <laughs> for for my ordinary day-to-day you know I've done stuff yeah. about first world computer games and I've done stuff about first world allied relations and I've done podcast requests for them mm-hmm. um but for people to be like Going, oh, I'm super hyped for this. Do you want to come and talk yeah. about it? Why? <laughs> I mean, how do you know who I am? Um, how is this? How is this thing come come together? And it's it's amazing, and I'm super enjoying it. But it's it's a very weird change yeah. for me. You know, it sounds like a a really it sounds like a bit of a cliche that battles in this book have very dramatically changed my life in a huge myriad of ways that have led to like quite a substantial existential crisis in regards to okay what is it that i actually <laughs> what is it i actually want because i've been an academic historian and i've been doing all the things but oh god it's exhausting and there are no permanent jobs and you write things that nobody wants to read and then i wrote battles and i've done this book and i went to star wars celebration and you know i I freely admit some of this is an ego thing. You know, I sat on a stage with a bunch of other people and people laughed and they cheered and they clapped and, but I've never had that before. Yeah. No, I mean, I I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I went to Celebration and it was the first time meeting all these Utini guys and we had our booth and people came up and said they used our timeline on the page. And I don't know if you know this story, but I've told this story um, to all these guys is that Amy Rico came to our booth and she was talking about the timelines book and turned around and said, oh, yeah, we've looked at the Utini timeline, all of us authors, while we're referencing this yep. book. And I nearly had a heart attack <laughs> there and then. There was there was actual tears. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get that validation. But so one question would be coming off battles. Yeah. I'm assuming you were right, still writing this book all during battles. Yes. Did you no. co- I wrote. Was it almost an anticlimax? Like I've written an actual Star Wars book and now I've got this other thing. Um, I <laughs> I had to pause the writing of history and politics to do battle. So I wrote history and politics almost enti- in its entirety in four to six weeks in September last year. Um, because what? I four to six weeks. Yeah. Um, Dude, I had written the first chapter about the empire, or most of the first chapter about the empire. But as I said, you know, life had been getting in the way. I was constantly applying for jobs and not having permanent jobs and working myself to death. I was working like three teaching jobs and stuff like that. And then I realised I'd got a new job, which was a temporary job, but would last until March 2024. And I would start that in September, mid to late September of last year. And I would finish my previous job early August and realised I now have, for the first time in five years, a guaranteed ongoing employment, which means I have a gap 
that I don't have to worry about paying my rent and I have no other work to do. And if I write at least 2,000 words every single weekday for four to six weeks, I will write this book. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and it damn near broke me into teeny tiny pieces. It's wow. a terrible life choice. <laughs> don't do it if you have the opportunity. <laughs> but it was the only way that it was going to get done. I mean, I've been writing it in my head for years. So the truth of the thing is I typed this book in four to six weeks wow. um, and did it that way. Yeah. Um, and then, but I had like, I had the huge rush of battles and then I did this book, but then I got the bigger rush of going to celebration and, you know, getting to meet everybody and not being, I mean, I was out of place because I was heavily jet lagged and I'm a nobody, <laughs> but not being <laughs> as out of place as I'd feared that I would be in, you know, a company that includes Jason Fry um, and Kristen Baver. Um, but what it's led to is a variety of kind of ponderings. I don't think I can do much more academic writing about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, partly because, God, I'm just exhausted. I just, I've used every word I know. I don't <laughs> yeah. have that many original I don't thoughts. want to do it again. Um, <laughs> but I got a taste of what it is that I want. And yeah. I want to write more official Star Wars stuff. Now, it's not my decision to make yeah. uh, about this. It's not that, um, you know, DK and Lucasfilm hate me. Although I'm pretty sure Lucasfilm don't know who I am. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, you, you can't do stuff if you're not asked or if stuff doesn't yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. But I can't do them both at the same time. I got away with it on this one because it was already an existing mm -hmm. thing and Lucasfilm were, were super cool about it. But I was saying to somebody recently, you know, if I come out in five years' time with a new book of History and Politics 2, more more Death Stars, less democracy, um, <laughs> and I've, you know, had the opportunity to do, like, three more books like Battles, I can't talk about how much more history there is in it if I wrote it. Um, that it's not the same thing as if someone like Michael A. Stackpole does it or Timothy mm -hmm. Zahn does it or J.J. Abrams yeah. does it um, and the realisation that you know the thing that I've wanted since reading Spectre of the Past which is to write more Star Wars to write Star Wars stuff dangles in front of me and I, I don't entirely know all the things that I need to do to make it a reality but I want it yeah. I really really want it um more than I necessarily would, want to would, be an academic historian. Would Star Wars fiction be your ultimate ambition now? I mean, potentially. I, I genuinely can't. I mean, that comes with a because that's got to be a that's got to be a bit hard now to go from this book. Yes. For someone to look at this and go, ah, but can he spin a yarn? Can he spin a yarn? <laughs> um, and you know, to an element, whilst Battles That Change the Galaxy is non-fiction, we are fiction writing in it, but it's yeah. not my it's not my background. Um, and I don't know what would have to happen for them to yeah. even remotely go, why on earth would we trust the historian with <laughs> fiction Star Wars book? Yeah. But, you know, non-fiction with a speech marks around it, Star Wars stuff like battles, like timelines, like Christian Baver's objects, you know, uh, Star Wars in 100 Objects yeah. book, clearly exists. And, and maybe, I'd, maybe I'd like to do that. Yeah do that more than what i was doing beforehand it's very it's very it's a very difficult position that i'm in because i came back from from celebration so like sugar hide over <laughs> over stimulated I, I can relate i can relate but also in that really kind of difficult pondering of what happens if i don't get to go back and mm. do any of these things what if it what if this was just a footnote in what it was i ended up doing but i want it so much i don't want to stop doing it 
and I don't know how to make it happen. And I can't force it. It has to happen naturally. Um, yeah. And now I have to go back to my job and, you know, write emails <laughs> and do minutes about meetings. And it's it's fine, but it's not Star Wars, is yeah. it? And it's, that becomes the measuring stick. But you can't live your life comparing everything to the one shiny thing that you got to do. Because then, God, everything would be so miserable. <laughs> Uh, as he looks around (laughs) (laughs) well i i think that you know we've we've been at it for quite a while here now and we really appreciate all of your time and first of all um i do want to say that a lot of people a lot of our listeners would know that i don't own a lot of books i try to keep a pretty lean physical library but i did when i did see this it this is exactly (laughs) the kind of stuff that i want to be reading so um as opposed to Trevor was like, I didn't know I needed this book. As soon as I saw that this existed or was about to exist, I was like, well, I need to have this because I, I do <laughs> want to know how the magic trick is, like how the magic trick works. I want to know all the machinations behind everything. So when I... <laughs> and the weird thing is when we were planning this interview, I didn't know that Jose had bought this book. He didn't know that I was talking to you on Twitter. <laughs> and I sent him a message going, I think I've just landed at... Uh, Chris Kempshaw to come on the show and he literally sends me a photo of a book and goes what this <laughs> so so it, first of all just thank you for I mean spending all that time slaving over this uh, for six four to six <laughs> weeks it's amazing it, it was only four to six <laughs> weeks <laughs> um, and I'm sorry that now you may have destroyed your future now because you will never get back to that that level yeah. uh, possibly but hopefully you do but anyways um Besides Star Wars and all the books that you have to read for this, um, is there anything else that you're maybe right now like reading or any TV or movies that you've recently watched that you're like comic books, video games, anything that you want to give a shout out to that might possibly become something else in the future, another book <laughs> like this? Um, so I'm going to probably be going back and doing some First World War computer games stuff, mm-hmm. I think. So um, a game that's just come out is a, it's a first-person shooter set in set on the Italian front, of all places, um, called Isonzo, which mm-hmm. is good fun, which I'm starting to play um, at the moment. I'm going to be doing some bits and pieces with the developers for that. Um, I haven't really been, because I'm still in that kind of exhausted come down. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been thinking too much about what the next the next project is, um, and I'm trying to watch things for enjoyment, yeah. Rather than <laughs> so, you know, I've been watching uh, the new Lord of the Rings thing, yes. Phil, uh, yes. series and and enjoying it, but in a sense of I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch it, yeah, then, yeah, and and enjoy that and not and not you know ruin it for myself in in some way, shape or form. Um, so I don't know what the next thing will be for my current job. I have to produce mm-hmm. a variety of kind of publications and like and one of those will be about first world war computer games i would imagine that'll be a that'll be a little mini book um but that'll be a you know an academic book so you know mm-hmm. start saving now i imagine um <laughs> but kind of next big you know if i was to do i don't know the history and politics of x i don't know the history mm-hmm. and politics of the x-men or star trek or something. I, I don't have any immediate plans for that again partly because i'm not as I'm not as conversant mm-hmm. in that stuff. You know, I've no, no friends who know far more about Star Trek or the, or the X-Men or Superman or Batman than anything. You know, they've read all of the comics and like it would be this similar as asking them to come and do it without having read the EU. Um, so I don't I don't know what's next. Um, hopefully something fun that people want to read. That would <laughs> make me happy. <laughs> and um, so back to Star Wars, but taking the history and politics out. Yes. So on a purely... Uh, purely based on your own enjoyment over the 25 or so years you've been reading Star Wars which have been your favourite 
books, comics, video games on a purely enjoyment basis. Star Wars Galaxies is right at the top. I adored now, that game. Freddy, Freddy C from Legends Look Back will love that. I know he's put hours <laughs> yes. or, or years, maybe. There, there might be some Star Wars Galaxies stuff in Battles that Change the Galaxy. Um, <laughs> I haven't found it yet. Um, it, it's very specific to the server that I was on. Um, <laughs> but it is in there. Um, I, I Again, I, you know, computer games. I adored Star Wars Supremacy slash Rebel uh, Rebellion. Um Spectre of the Past, Vision of the Future is a big duology for me because Spectre of the Past, Past was the first one and I seem to wait like for 10 years yeah. for Vision of the Future to come out. It was clearly less time, <laughs> but I think it came out in America yes. and it took years to come out over, over in England. Adored the X-Men, the X-Men, uh, the X-Wing um, <laughs> books and comics. They were super great, as was Timothy Zahn's original um, Thrawn trilogy as, as far as books go. Films, Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, Last Jedi are films that yes. I adore yes. a lot. Um, but the handy thing about Star Wars is there's always something new to look forward yes. to. There's always something And I for am everyone. so hyped for Andor um, mm-hmm. because it's giving me, yes. you know, it's stuff for my history and politics brain that, I'm, that you know, still exists back there. <laughs> but also I want, to, I want to see the inside of the Empire. Yeah. That's what I want to see. I want to see what it's like to live under the Empire because um, we never got it in the EU because George Lucas wouldn't allow it because he wouldn't allow people to go back before A New Hope and stuff like that. Yeah. So this is something that I've been waiting for for decades. Um, and obviously it's kind of got the history and politics aspect yeah. to it as well. But no, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm very, very hyped for Andor. Well, we might need to have you back for uh, a post-Andor recap episode if, uh, if you're willing to do that. Oh, that's a great idea. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, Trev, I think that's, uh, you know, when it's been over almost two hours now on this, so I don't want to wow. <laughs> keep taking. I will more. say super quickly for any of the listeners, because I'll, I'll give you. I, I might have given it to to Trevor. I'll give it to you as well. There's for people who want to buy the book. Um, there's a twenty five percent off discount code mm-hmm. um, if you use it through the Rattledge website. I don't know if you put it in the show notes or should I read it out loud? What's easier? Read it out loud and we'll no, do it. In the yeah, show we'll put notes. it. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll do all of it. Brilliant. Yeah, so if you buy it through the Routledge website, you can get it for 25% off, which, you know, is it's nice to have cheaper books. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, I'll just do now my outro segment. And uh, so if for some reason you haven't yet, just make sure to join our Discord. We have a very active community there sharing their thoughts on the latest episode of whatever show on Disney+. Plus. So that will be Andor coming up. Reading along to the newest book release, selling their books on uh, selling their books and collectibles and shared their artwork and fanfic. Most importantly, that is where you can get the latest news and discuss anything Star Wars archives. If you have not joined, just head on over to utini.com discord and click the join now button on that page. Um, Chris has been fantastic having you. Anything else that you want to plug? Uh, Twitter handles, anything like that for people to where they can find you? Yeah, you can always follow me on Twitter at Chris Kempshaw and at Chris Kempshaw as well on Instagram. One of the many benefits of being the only Chris Kempshaw to have ever existed <laughs> for uh, social media handles. You'll get a variety of kind of Star Wars and history stuff and, you know, Simpsons gifts, random rants and the like um, on, on Twitter, <laughs> on Instagram. You'll get Star Wars stuff and you'll get me painting tiny plastic elves for Warhammer as well, if that sounds like the type of thing that is, is, is of interest nice. to you. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, I think. All right. Trev, what about you? Twitter handles. So, so we are at 
SW Archives Pod on Twitter, and I'm at Davy Todd, D A V E Y T O D, also on Twitter because I don't do any other socials because I don't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at D Jaxi on Twitter, T H E J O X I I I. I think I'm De Jose Jimenez on Instagram, but yeah, something like that. Uh, so, anyways, thank you, Trev, for making this happen today thank you chris this was fantastic i really enjoyed it oh, and my i pleasure i mean i think we could probably go on for a few more hours but probably if we <laughs> all were in a pub with a proper pint talking about star wars and politics that would be better than me in some sort of little office room and that's i am right now so <laughs> i mean i i think i think we have definitively proven that there's no politics in no. Star wars. <laughs> no, no, you know, yeah none, none at all uh, that's a big misunderstanding <laughs> yeah. well and then most importantly thank you to our patreon members and listeners for supporting us and making this show possible uh and continuing to hear us talk about anything and everything star wars and with that i can now say radio out There is no hatred, there is joy, there is no division, there is union, there is no apathy, there is passion, there is no gatekeeping, there is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you.